We'll start a new series with you today entitled Healing Hands, and I'll be taking time between now and Thanksgiving to go a verse at a time through the 23rd Psalm, and I think address this text in a way that I'm not sure I know I've never heard before, perhaps you as well. Today we'll be looking at the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. As a means of an introduction, uh, you've been here the last few weeks or tuned in online, you've heard me talk about this, this idea of sowing the word of God, like keep going back to the word. I've been doing that here for 12 years. Can't think of a Sunday when I've been here anyway that I've been in this pulpit that you haven't heard basically the word of God. Now, why is that important? It's important because eventually God confirms his word. Okay, this is, this is another ball game altogether. It's one thing to sow the word. It's another thing to harvest those seeds. And I have told you in recent couple, last couple of months that I sense, and this is not easy to do, by the way. It's kind of risky. I have told you that the word is going to be confirmed in this congregation through healing. I mean, I've just come out and told you that. And it's one way that the Lord's going to confirm what's been sowed into this soil over the years. And healing does mean physical healing. It also means relational healing, marital healing, financial healing, spiritual healing, healing in one's mind, healing in one's heart, overcoming grief. Right now, what we seem to see happening more and more often is physical healing. That's what I want to talk to you about through this duration of this series. But there's all kinds of healing going on because God is a healer. Now, why does he wait 12 years? That's not the way to look at it. I know we're taught to do that. We're conditioned to do that. That's chronos time. This is where we get confused. Chronos time is that which you measure with a watch or a calendar. Forget chronos time when it comes to God. A thousand years are like a day to him. He doesn't have a $50 fossil watch. I buy three of them every year after Christmas. He's more interested in Kairos time. What is Kairos? In the fullness of time, God sent his son. What does that mean? When the time was right according to God and he didn't have to put it on a calendar, that's what it means. When the congregation is prepared and ready to receive what I'm about to do, or when the congregation is ready for what I need to do among them, that will be the time to do it. When things line up in his mind and eyes that say, this is the time to move on this, seems to be what's going on. I had lunch years ago because I worked in a church where I was a youth minister, and nobody wanted to pick anyone up at the airport or take them to lunch. Somehow I got to be the guy to do that. So I went to lunch with Henry Blackaby one time at the Canoe Restaurant. And I'm sitting down, and I'm, everyone I went out to lunch with, I, I would basically say, hey, you know, whatever, you know, uh, could you tell me, what, tell me what I need to be asking you? I have no idea what to ask you. I want to ask him something stupid, you know. 
Basically, my takeaway from that lunch was, I shouldn't let anyone else pick anybody up from the airport. I shouldn't let anyone else take anyone out to lunch because I learned more in the lunch than I did in about six months of just being in the Word. And basically, the takeaway was, remember, some of you are old enough to remember this, knowing and doing the will of God, the big God-looking figure on the front, the black cover. Find out, here it is, find out where God is at work and what? Go join him. Where's God at work in this church right now? Let's take a look at that. We've had an aortic aneurysm shrink. Inexplicable. We've had a breathing issue radically reversed immediately. We've had a woman be declared cancer-free. It's huge. We have someone who's, who had prayed for a rash to be removed, and the rash is all but gone. And then just this week, you had a phone call requesting that I go to the hospital. I had permission to see somebody who'd been on a ventilator for four weeks, someone here in our church. Four weeks and one day. So this was Wednesday. And Tuesday night, I'm online with a little healing class that I'm part of. And so we start praying. We're going to start praying for this man who's been on a ventilator for four weeks and one day. A long time. Medically induced coma. Get to the hospital, and the palliative care nurse comes to see me. Basically explaining that I have 15 minutes there. And uh, it's a wonder his organs haven't started shutting down one at a time. She's kind of preparing me for all this. I get the sense she's trying to prepare me to maybe tell the family, like, this is kind of the way it is. So I went in there and was gowned up and all. Standing over this young man. He had the ability to manufacture in his own body 5% oxygen, and he was in need of, through the ventilator, 90% oxygen. That's not the ratio you're looking for. The goal is to get him to between 50 and 60% so that they can take him off the ventilator. It's just a matter of time before he perishes and do something with his trachea and let him breathe that way. That's the goal. So they send me in there. Odd feeling standing there. I prayed all of 14 minutes and 58 seconds. Took the two seconds to get out of the room. I hightailed it out of there. It was quite an experience. The next day, need of oxygen has dropped from 90 to 75, and the next day later, it's down to 55. And he's on his way. And what, because we have a team of healing ministers representing our church, Canada, California, they get to praying. And they get to praying at the Kairos time that God 
has made a decision he's going to do some stuff among us. Now, if you've been told your whole life or grew up in church where God doesn't heal in this century, I don't know what to tell you, just sneak up here later and if you need healing at the altar, I won't tell anybody. But what, what needs to happen is we need a right way of perceiving this. We need to be a vessel as a church family that can steward and manage what God is doing. This is where a lot of people make mistakes and they get off base. How do we become that vessel of reverence and respect and awe and gratitude and celebration and worship where God continues to heal eating everything he wants to heal and we don't get in his way, we don't slow him down. It's Kairos time and time for us to discern things. If you want to know the truth about it, if you had to ask me, I'd say God has heard us talk about so many things in the last 18 months beside him. I think he's gotten a little bit jealous, and somebody better stinking get out of the way. Because he wants to turn people's eyes back to him. So we're going to look at this verse. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice the word, the. It's not a, it's not a spiritual buffet. You pick whatever God you want. There's but one God, one true God. That's it. One true God, that's all there is. And he is the Lord. The Lord. Now, one thing when it comes to healing and disease and sickness, I want to make really clear about this. A Lord is a king. Jesus was the prince of peace. And then he ascended the throne and became a king. Like, we're not used to a monarchy, but that's what happens. You ascend the throne. So the prince of peace became the king. The king of what? King of every king and the king of every lord. He's, he's the king, the lord, okay? And what do kings have? Kings have people that are what? Subject to him. We are his, I know we're his children. I know we are, uh, you know, his servants. And all I call you servant, I call you friend. We're his friends. We're the saints of God. And we're all those things. But we're also his subjects, and it would do us well to be reminded every now and again that not only are we his subjects, we are subject to him. Now, I bring this up because in the New Testament, when it comes to healing, you'll see, you'll see this over and over and over. Peter's mother-in-law was subject to a fever. So-and-so was subject to a demon. The first thing I want us to ready us to understand how God heals people is this. please. Do not ever say you're subject to, nor that you have a disease, you own it, it's yours. Sickness and disease is not something we need to go around talking about as though we've somehow adopted it, brought it into our home, and we're now nurturing it until we get over it. We're not subject to anything but Jesus Christ. Amen? You and I are subject to Jesus Christ. Now, we might not feel good, we might be nauseous, we might be on death's door, but we're not subject to anything but him nor anyone. Please, start with that. He is the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, this is David writing this psalm at a time when his knucklehead son was pursuing him with an army. You read this in Psalm 2 and Psalm 3, you'll get an idea. This is a very, very toxic family 
And one son, Absalom, is chasing his own father, and David says, the Lord is my shepherd. If this was written in New Testament times, it wouldn't say my shepherd. It would say, the Lord is our shepherd. Just like the, the, the Lord's prayer, our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay? So, our. Think our, not my. But nonetheless, he is personal to each of us. The Lord is my shepherd. What is a shepherd? Oh, well, a shepherd is one who... How many golfers do we have here? All right. How many good putters do we have here? Well, there's not as many hands go up. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys... I've played golf with some of you. You hit it down the middle every stinking time. But you never putt the same time two days in a row. Very rare. So putting is like a shepherd. A shepherd determines distance and direction and pace and provision. A good shepherd will understand the pace to lead a flock, the direction to take them in, and how to provide for them along the way. That's all the shepherd is. And Jesus is the good shepherd. All right. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to read some verses to you. and get, a, get a, a sense of what we're talking about here. Matthew 9, 35 and 36. Then Jesus went, up, went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. Notice the inseparability between teaching, preaching, healing in the synagogues, healing every disease and sickness among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. That word means harassed. If you feel like you've been harassed and you're weary, you need to take a break. And take a break from whatever it is that's causing you the harassment and the weariness. And you probably have a pretty good idea what that is. They were not only weary, but they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You can be in churches now and not have a shepherd who understands distance, direction, and pace, and provision. You can be in a church and not have a shepherd. You can be in a church and have a shepherd. You can be in a church and not listen to the shepherd. You can have a church and and, and really show respect for what the shepherd is saying. There's a lot of ways you can take this, or you can not be in the church at all. Whatever the case may be, there's a need for a shepherd. It's kind of a big deal. Matthew 26 and 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you may be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Okay, why do I bring this up? Do you know when this statement was made? It was made moments, moments before something very important. All of you should be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus is moments away from being arrested. The good shepherd has been arrested. And Peter gets all the flack for denying him three times that night. But apparently they all did something. If you really read the verse, they all fell apart that night. There is this direct relationship between a shepherd and a flock, and when the flock wanders and has no shepherd, typically what happens, you get picked off from the flock, you become weary and harassed, afraid and on a cliff, alone and bewildered. 
This happens in our country constantly. People wander from the church. Probably better that they did if they didn't really have a shepherd to begin with, but if they do have a shepherd and they wander, our confidence is high. I would never betray you, Lord. Three times, one night. This is the way it happens. This is the principle. Many pastors, even right now in this season of time, are leaving the church. Many of them are. Many shepherds. They used to say that before COVID, that a lot of pastors, that's not true. They weren't leaving the church before COVID. It's not even true. They are now, though. They're now because they've been struck. Struck with what? Struck with the expectation to please two opposing sides of any and every issue at the same time and make everybody happy. They're looking at themselves like, man, did I overestimate the maturity level here? There's no way I could do this. They're going into ministry outside the church. We've got people striking our shepherds that will yield a scattering, a weariness, and continued harassment. Unfortunately, that's where we're at. But in this church, in this Kairos moment, what we have is someone who's doing the best they can to be a shepherd, don't know how that's going, but at the same time, I would say this, it appears to be a Kairos moment when everybody ought to take their head and fix their eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the healer among them. All right, we need a shepherd. The Lord is my, our shepherd, who determines distance, pace, direction, and provision. I would, the second thing I'd say is that we've been created to be led. We not, might, might not like it. The fact that we were created by a creator intimates right there, there and then, the simplicity that if someone created us, they're probably going to lead us. We don't have a God who created us to abandon us. No, he wanted to walk in the cool of the garden in the day, in the middle of the afternoon. That's what he wanted, and he still wants to do that with you and I. He's restored us from being banished from the garden and wants to walk with us in the cool of the day. In fact, he wants to be nearer than that. He's within us. You're created to be led. The problem is many people today are being led. And they're being led because they know they need to be led. Now the question is, who or what is leading them? Who or what is leading them? Who or what is influencing their minds? Who or what is leading them astray? And who or what is leading them to truth? I don't know who has the answer to all those questions, but I do know it'll flesh out in a few years. Someone is leading you. The question is, who is it? You are subject to someone. Who is it? You are subject to something, perhaps, not always. Who is it? Are you and your wife, you and your family, are you subject to? I heard a, a, a prayer warrior that I called with a prayer request the other day. She goes, I, I call it a person's vineyard. And so what she meant was the vineyard was that person's family. They're immediate. And their, and, their, and their immediate and extended family. I like that. Who is leading your vineyard and to whom is your vineyard subject to? Now, you could be subject to a crisis, to a mentality, to a fad, to a myth, to anything you want to do. But ask yourself that question every now and again. Who is truly leading your vineyard and to whom is your vineyard truly subject to? 
Because it can't be a disease, it can't be this, can't be that. Remember, he's the king and we are his subjects. I ask myself this question, I think it's a fair question, I think it's a good question, I think it's a healthy question to answer. It's not, a, it's not in any way, shape, or form meant to be accusatory. It's meant to be somewhat of a rectifier if we need to change and make a change. Who is unduly influencing you? Are you subject to and do you have the mind of Christ? Fair question. Or do you have the mind of Christ that's not actually being influenced by Christ, it's being influenced by someone else who knows Christ or says they do? Directly, who are you subject to? You are created to be led. Now, this is interesting too because there is in our culture this ongoing, ever-present need to individualize all of us. I get it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's sometimes there could be something wrong with it. When we get so individualized, and you sit in this congregation for a decade, and all you really do is come here for yourself, and you're not, there's no koinonia with the other people in the group, you could have 400 people. See, everyone's talking about how many people come to your church. Who cares? That's not the question. How many people ask me this? How many members do you have in your church? I have no idea. And you know what? I could care less. I want to know how many ministers I have in this church. That actually means something to me. Talk about membership in heaven. It'll be a short conversation. How many ministers are here? How many people attend your services? Don't really know. Not as many as used to. That's not the question either. But here's the question. Is there a koinonia among them? A shared life experience? Is there iron on one pew sharpening a person on another? Is anyone calling anybody out or holding anybody accountable? Or is anybody encouraging another person? Or Y'all looking at me like, that's my job. The individualization of Christianity will kill Christianity because Christianity is predicated upon the church of Jesus Christ for whom the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. In truth, the ideal is, in truth, we go about our lives during the week, we're on the golf course, we're on the putting green, we're at the driving range, we're at Bucks, we're at this other place, this new place up here, we're walking up and down Main Street, or we're at uh, Ingalls. You ought to see somebody from your own church, and there ought to be an unspoken bond there. On some level, that we're on the same team, we're in the same family, we're praying along the same lines. You and I are here to make a difference in this community, and we need to avail ourselves of one another to do that. We're created to be led. And I guess what I'm saying is we're created to be led in the context of community. I don't know who was here that day, but when you put the sign up out front, Community Bible Church, apparently somebody thought community was a big deal. I don't know. And when no one's taken it down since, I've scraped some profanity off of it, spray painted on there every now and again. But the community is still there, the best I can tell. 
We're created to be led in the context of community. And my job, my role here in part, besides to do what you're called to do, is to actually enhance a sense of community, direction, distance, and pace. And why do, why do animals get in flocks anyway? Why, do wolves, why are wolves in packs? Why are hyenas in packs? Why are lions in prides? Why are sheep in flocks? Why do those turkeys in my backyard every morning always run around together? Because they help each other, because they warn each other, because they look out for each other, because they keep one another from leaving the flock and wandering off without a shepherd. The greatest assault in the church is not only the individualization of of every person in the culture, but as you've heard a million, million times, and as you've seen a million times, division, division, division. The fracture, breach, separate, divide, split, cleave, have, quarter, bisect, disjoin, alienate, break, dislocate, dichotomize, sever, shear, and disassociate. Pick your, pick your word or words. It's happening right now in our culture, and you're either aware of it and not allowing it, or you're aware of it, and it's still having an effect on you, or you're totally oblivious, and you just came out of a 20-year coma. Divisiveness. I'll say it so I'm blue in the face. If you really want to have a church, you have to have unity. That's not true. You can have a church without unity. You just won't have the Spirit of God. You just won't have the anointing of the Spirit, and you won't have the presence of the Lord. Not to to manifest presence, anyway. You'll have, well, some of you know what you'll have. Some of you have been through that. And I can't think of a person who wants to do it again. Unity. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in your hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. Unity is of paramount importance in the church today. The Lord is our shepherd, and we're one. Confirming his word, this is, this is what he does. He confirms his word with signs following. No sign of the word, I can tell you there's a sign of no healing. No sign of the word is a sign of no healing. And by healing, I mean reconciliation. By healing, I mean physical. By healing, I mean marital. If you don't have the preached word in a church on a regular basis, you'll end up with divorce, sickness, a lot of bitterness and and resentment, and probably not not too shallow unforgiveness. Unity is of utmost importance, and the word of God is too. Omit healing and the, from the text that God wants to confirm and don't expect any kind of healing whatsoever. As I said, if some of you were taught as you came up in the church that God doesn't heal anymore, there's a reason why he didn't heal in your church. He only confirms the word that you preach. We're going to make sure we're not leaving anything out around here. Acts 20, 27 to 28, For I have not shunned 
which means avoided the declaration of. I have not shunned, says Paul, to declare you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Mark 16 and 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. All right. This, uh, I got to be honest with you, this church is strange. There are homogenous churches out there. And praise God for them. It's not us. Everybody on the pew is of a certain spiritual heritage and background. And it's dead set. Not us. We have people here, I look around the room, from every denomination. And we're, hadn't killed, no one's killed anybody in here. There's not been any arguments. There's not been any, well, maybe there's friction, I don't know about it. You've got uh, charismatics in here, you got holy rollers, you got Pentecostals, you got Baptists, you got Catholic, you got everything in here. What's the one glue that holds all that diversity together? Hopefully it's in your lap. The Bible. Good luck finding a replacement. I don't know anybody crazy enough to go to all these denominations and then take on the responsibility of talking to people from all these different 31 flavors of Baskin-Robbins ice cream. It is not easy to do. But what you have to do is just teach the word. And you are receptive and hungry, and that I appreciate. And because of that, you're going to continue to see God confirming his word in this church. And for those of you watching online, 65% of you are watching on Roku, which tells me you're still in bed watching television. The day may come when you may just be stirred to the point where if, how many more people have to get healed over here in this congregation before you might have to get out of bed and come to church? Those are being honest. I love you online, but I'd love looking at you here. Because there's something that happens in this sanctuary and will continue to happen in a more palatable way, and I, I can tell you that in a tangible way that you don't want to miss out on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I haven't learned much in my life, but I've learned this, and you've taught me this. Some of you have taught me this. And it's this right here. If Jesus Christ, to you, if you understood him and what he did on your behalf as best you could right now today, even you pondered it, you studied it, you meditated upon it, you asked him to reveal it to you, if you truly, truly, truly saw it, just a, a fraction of an understanding of what he's done on your behalf, you'd be the most satisfied person in the world. You wouldn't need anything beyond that. Seriously, you really, the more you know about what, who he is, how available he is, how accessible he is, how attentive he is, how affectionate he is, how, how available he is to you in your everyday life, if that was what you knew more than anything else, you'd be so full you wouldn't be craving and longing 
and the things of the flesh. Pornography is one of the biggest problems we have in this country, and it's, it's, it's on the rise among women, like really on the rise. And it's simply an indication of a lack of experiential understanding of who Christ is and wants to be in a person's life. You'll want for nothing. You know when you're on the right track when you want Christ more than you want to sin. When he's more appetizing than darkness, when he's more appetizing than being ashamed, gloomy, when he's the object of your affection, stick around. Stick around. I shall not want. If he's the shepherd and he's the good shepherd, then he ought to be enough. His grace is sufficient means his grace is sufficient. If we have an insufficiency in Christ, it's not his fault. And you'll not gain that sufficiency on your own. More than likely, you need someone to help you. We're back to the church again. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. We have to be first satisfied with him. Those of you who are single, listen to me. Get really satisfied with him. Stop lowering the bar for some of these people you're dating. They don't even come close in comparison. Don't argue with me. Do it. Get satisfied with him, and you'll have something to give to another. Trust in another for your identity, and you'll never be satisfied, ever, ever, ever. So in conclusion, the healing hands of the shepherd, it's the shepherd's job to inspect his sheep, to feel around the neck of the animal for a blemish or a tumor, swollenness, lesions, skin disease. The shepherd will go through the sheep and touch that which needs healing and also will set that sheep aside because it's not worthy of being a sacrifice. It's one who deciphers There is a healer over this church and in this church called Jesus Christ, and he heals by the power of the Spirit and his blood, and by his stripes we are healed. And he knows what is wrong with each of us, though we ourselves may not have any idea whatsoever. He knows because he's the creator of your body, every cell of your body, and everything that's in balance and out of balance, everything that is sick and not, and everything that is whole. He knows all things about your hearing, your sight, your cells, your organs, that young man's lungs. He knows all things about you, and he has hands. More often than not, when Jesus healed, he touched. When people got a hold of the way that he healed, he would, they would bring him, then he'd beg him. This is, this is who you are. Listen to me. Bring somebody and beg. 
They would bring a man and beg God to touch him. Bring a man, beg God to touch his eyes. Bring a man, bring God to touch his ears. Bring a man and say, touch him, touch him, touch him, touch him. The healer, the shepherd has hands and identifies what needs to be healed. He knows these things. In a Kairos moment like this church is right now, I would not be at all surprised As God continues to give momentum and we continue to reverence him, you might see more touching of disease and sickness and cancer and blemishes and rashes and everything else and beat up marriages and all but beat up finances. Alienated families and prodigal sons and daughters. They brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Who are you bringing to Christ even in prayer? And there is, is there within you a festering, a compassion, an empathy, an ache, a pain? a visceral pain that bothers you that they lack. Bring a man, bring a woman to Christ in prayer and beg God on their behalf. Make sure when you do it, it's earnest and it's authentic. You might just find the shepherd heals them because they've been picked off from the flock. They're all alone, confused and scared. We're going to worship for a little bit and close our service and give you an opportunity to pray for healing right here in this room. Pray for a desire to bring someone and beg on their behalf. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Amen. Let's meditate on these words as we prepare ourselves for prayer.